And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna after Notre Dame's 45-21 victory over Syracuse, which... I think if you were just sort of box score surfing Notre Dame, you would think that this was totally fine and never dramatic at all. Um, it was it was a funky game for a while. Notre Dame was down 7-3 before they kind of poured it on before halftime uh, and then really started to blow out Syracuse in the second half uh, before a garbage touchdown. But look, Ian Book's final home game, um, 30 wins as starting quarterback, Notre Dame's all-time record. Uh, Matt, you had, a, I think, an awesome tweet that uh, – was it 33% of Brian Kelly's seasons over the last 11 years have ended? Well, the last 12 years, yeah. Since last 12 years. Yeah, have ended in undefeated regular seasons. Um, it was pretty wild, but here Notre Dame is. I don't. I think this is a game that no one will remember, and I guess if there was something significant about it, it's probably that Notre Dame did enough that on Tuesday night when the, the uh, college football rankings come out, struggled with Syracuse probably isn't going to be something anyone says. No, it's it's um kind of jaw dropping to look at the box score and see that Syracuse had two hundred yard rushers on this Notre Dame defense. Yeah, um, after Notre Dame had not allowed a running back to hit, I think eighty yards all season. Correct. Um, and Notre Dame fails to cover the spread for the first time in four games. Um, I had forty five seven. I guess I not, undersold not, Syracuse. <laughs> not uh, close to my fifty two zero. No, um, but it, I'm saying if you were smart and saw the live line with Notre Dame at thirteen and a half at one point, or even at seventeen, and you double down on both of them good for you I'm not patting myself on the back just saying if that were the case um, I congratulate those of you out there Um, yeah I mean this was a legacy moment you know I I look a lot less at the game I'm not sure Brian Kelly got a single question about the game now that I think about it um, in his post-game press coverage which almost sounded like a retirement speech with the way he opened it it really I yeah the way that he opened up it was either like a signing day press conference or a retirement speech it was thinking Um, like people whose names I didn't even know like yeah, um, Shannon Cullen, the executive VP of the university, who I, it, you know, look, it was a weird season. The fact that there was a season at all is, is a story, which it never is. Right. Um, but this is, this is just one of those years. Um, you know, it was interesting. The season started with the team singing the alma, alma mater socially distance after the Duke game in front of the students. Um, this one ended with them singing it together as if nothing was a miss, except for there were only 6,000 people in the stands. And they were and Brian that, Kelly uh, got left behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nothing uh, Nothing went to plan this year. Um, there was there was a reminder of that at, at every moment. And, you know, this game, like I said, is probably not something we're going to be spending a whole lot of time rehashing or picking apart other than tonight. But um, Ian Book goes out a winner, 30th win, three touchdowns passing, another cut touchdown, two couple touchdowns rushing. Really was 
was Notre Dame's offense at a time when they were scuffling a little bit in the second quarter. I mean, that first half line for me and Buck seemed like almost a senior day gift as far as like the way they let him throw the ball. And I know some of that was necessary because they didn't think they'd find themselves in a hole early. But first half line for Ian Buck, 21 of 29, 252 yards, two touchdowns, 23 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, and he completely passes to eight different pass catchers. I mean, that's a full day's work in two quarters. And by the end of the half, they were up by 17 points, which – uh, happened over a span of three minutes and 12 seconds, which shows you how quickly this team can turn it on um, oh. when they're clicking and when they need to, at least against po- opponents that they know they can overmatch. So um, that sucked all the drama out of it pretty quickly. I think let people drive home safely and, and we'll sleep easier tonight. And like you said, uh, eliminate the conversation that I know some people are dying to have right now, which is style points. Like, did they prove enough? that they can lose to Clemson and this, this, and this, especially with Ohio State um, doing what they did today when they got back on the field. But it was – it felt like a game from last year um, in some ways. And by that, I mean they were a good team last year that almost always took care of business um, but were pretty boring in the fashion they did it and never really – I mean, they had two real tough opponents and they, they lost to both of them. Um, it was – I don't know. I just, I just got 2019 vibes watching this game today because it was like we know how this is going to end. It's kind of boring. Nothing great is happening other than Javon McKinley. Um, but, I mean, look, they, they, if anyone um, has earned the right to have a performance like today and to still go out as 21-point winners before we act like the sky is falling, um, it, it's this group and particularly the senior class. I mean, they've, uh, they've seen it all <laughs> in their four and five yeah. years here. Yeah, they really have. And I thought it was a cool moment in the game that uh, Book got sort of the timeout, you sub out by yourself individually moment. Um, I mean, I felt like I'm glad they did it, but just like in this godforsaken year, it was like, all right, like there's like 12 people in the stands clap. You know what I mean? Like that's such a great moment. In 2012, when that happened for Manti Teo and Captain Lewis Moore, like that was so awesome. And unfortunately, due to circumstances, you just don't get that this year. Yeah, fortunately, we did have former Shamrock – guest Mick Asaf tweet out a picture of the Jumbotron after Book subbed out and it flashed that he had finished with 8,500 career passing yards and 69 touchdowns, which he said was nice. So, see, uh, well I, done we, there. We, that's, that's, um, that's the overlooked part. I mean, this class <laughs> committed to a program that was building a Jumbotron. I mean, that was a tragedy. <laughs> and you know what? It's almost like they went, uh, by my math, uh, 25 and 1. Uh, since the Jumbotron went up, and no one gives a crap about the Jumbotron anymore. It's crazy. It's like the Cubs won a World Series a year after they put theirs up, and people stopped caring. I mean, it's it's somehow football was still played at Notre Dame Stadium the last four yeah. years, and it's a lot of good football. Yeah, true. And uh, I think the field turf was part of that, if my math is correct. Oh, no, that was 14. That you're going. That was Sean oh, okay. Crawford, maybe. <laughs> yes, perhaps the, the some of this class was recruited under the premise of field turf, there you go. but uh, didn't uh, didn't actually play on the grass. So, yeah, it's just. I think that for Notre Dame, there's a lot to clean up defensively. Probably not enough for Vanderbilt to be like, hmm, Clark Lee, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so it's, I, you know, Notre Dame still finishes with 568 yards offense, 285 on the ground, 283. I'm sorry, 283 on the ground and 285 in the air. Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree both go over 100 yards. Tyree, pretty much all of it on a 95, 94-yard touchdown run. Um it's, it should give Notre Dame and the coaching staff plenty of stuff to, to sort of drill down on over the next couple of weeks, getting ready for Clemson. Maybe more so than, you know, I, th- I thought that Brian Kelly would lean pretty hard into 
hey, you know, they say uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to play this time and that's going to make all the difference and they're going to blow you out. Um, I'm sure that will happen a lot, but Notre Dame has some material things to clean up to after today. Yeah, I would agree with that. Was it, did he address the crowd? I saw you tweeting. Did he address the crowd on the field? No. He talked about Clemson no. or what? Uh, it was the uh, radio broadcast. They okay, piped the okay. radio broadcast into the uh, into the press box. So gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That was about it for that. Well, what if Clemson loses to Virginia Tech tonight and then uh, the, the, you know play the, for Miami? I think Brian Kelly mentioned Clemson four or five times without mentioning Virginia Tech at all uh, mm. or Miami. So I think it's it's pretty much assured in these parts uh, since they he laid out that on Wednesday they'll kind of start Clemson prep walkthrough and then get into uh, game planning for that. In addition, just watching uh, the Saturday night game between Virginia Tech and Clemson, which by the time you listen to this podcast, will have ended. Probably is over right now. I haven't put it on yet. Um, <laughs> the great, uh, the great disappointment in this Duke's Mayo Classic being canceled is uh, Brian Kelly can only tie Newt Rockney if they win it all this year. He cannot catch him. Which yeah. eleven years is usually like the golden number for Notre Dame coaches. So that'd be like a very boss move, of Brian Kelly, to tie Rockney win a title, retire, and then give the same speech that he did um, at the press conference today where he thanks Sam everyone associated with Notre Dame. Yeah, it's um, – yeah, the, the, I don't know. Moving forward for Notre Dame, like, towards the Clemson game, I'll, I'll be curious to see, like, you know, how different Notre Dame looks in two weeks than they did tonight. You know, I think Book, you know what you're going to get there. McKinley, it's amazing to me that he is sort of a um, – He's like one of the best re- deep threats probably in college football right yeah. now. I mean, it's crazy. He, he, is a re- he is a reliable receiver. Ben Skoranek is a reliable receiver. Um, you know, so that's that's all there for them. But, you know, the offensive line, I don't know. It um, they've, They need the two weeks, one for Zeke Carell's ankle, uh, mm-hmm. and then two just for Tommy Kramer. I mean, the fact that he played two weeks after an uh, emergency appendectomy or, or perhaps just a regular appendectomy is, is wild to me. Um, and I, I, it's strange to sit here and say like Notre Dame didn't necessarily run the ball that well when they had 283 yards rushing. Um, mm-hmm. That's a compliment to where the run game is. But, right. but I'm not sure. I looked at the run game tonight and thought like, yeah, they're really owning the line of scrimmage and opening some holes for Kyron Williams. Um, they've, they've got some things, I think, to tune up on that side of the ball as well. You know, Brian Kelly said at halftime, uh, I'd remind our guys – the game was at 2.30 day, not 3.30, because we didn't start playing until 3.30, which is probably pretty accurate. Um, once they – late in the second quarter, they turned it on, but then you see his halftime speech about how we're going to dominate third quarter and do what we want in the fourth quarter, and the third quarter was kind of a hot mess as well, um, just with right. kind of the hot potato and back and forth, long touchdown run they gave up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was far from a complete performance. Probably a lot of um, – teachable and coachable moments if you're the staff as you have basically two weeks now to prepare for Clemson the second time and yeah I don't think much the same way the first um five games of the year we kind of fast forwarded and just talked about Clemson I think we can do that now especially without um any opponents between now and then and I mean I'm I'm as fascinated as you are um yeah I mean Trevor Lawrence you can't say he won't make a difference I mean as good as DJ Uyangalele was I mean guy's the best quarterback prospect since at least Andrew Locke and he's really good on third downs, and that will be different for Notre Dame to defend. Uh, but I still don't think that the difference uh, and improvement for Clemson at quarterback will be anywhere near the difference and improvement toward having a healthy defense, and particularly a healthy front seven right. against that offense line Notre Dame, which might not be healthy um, come that game. Um, I just think the other part of that, too, um, there was so much talk that week publicly about 
sign stealing with Clemson and how they're notorious for this. And, uh, you know, Tommy Reese's phone was ringing off the hook from people after they beat Clemson basically saying, how did you do that? Um, because we've been trying to do this for a while. And now he's got to go and do it again less than two months later. Um, that's a tall task. And I'm not saying they're not up for it, but, but I think that's one of the more compelling game, game storylines as these two teams meet for a second time. And who knows, maybe a third time if, if things play yep. out that way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I mean, there, with the, the Reese-Venables dynamic, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to beat Venables once because it's, it's clearly not. But when you watch that game, if you've been watching Notre Dame throughout the season, you saw a lot of new stuff. That night on November 7th, like, I don't know if you can have Under center. Yeah. Can you do new, new stuff on December 19th? I don't know. I mean, you may have sort of spent that from your playbook. So that, that's sort of interesting. Like you're not going to have an element of surprise for Tommy Reese. Um, And I'm curious to see if Clark Lee tries to tweak what he does defensively. I think you have to not sell out on Travis Etienne because of Trevor Lawrence, but now, certainly you you got to take away that run game first so it's it's going to be a big test and look there's if you said at the beginning of the year that Lee and Reese would split against Elliot and Venables mm-hmm. you would take that in a second which um, you said yes thank you thank you <laughs> by one one of my one of my 10 predictions that actually may happen um you would take that and i think that you know, Reese and Lee have proven that they're up for the task here, but like these are going to be two great or borderline great teams going at it in Charlotte on December 19th. So I'd, I, w- I would expect another game sort of like the first one, maybe not quite as that dramatic. I guess that's since we have to unfortunately view everything through the prism of ESPN and the college football playoff. What do you feel like Notre Dame's you have to do at least this to make the playoff coming out of Charlotte is? Um, I think 
I know there are so many moving parts outside of that game, so it's hard to say do this and you're in in a loss. But I think if it's a single-digit game, um, you can't tell me the straight face. That's not one of the four best teams in the country. If Notre Dame loses by seven or even ten points mm-hmm. to Clemson. Now, we went over the scenario previously in the last podcast or two podcasts ago, I think, where we said, you said, what happens if Ohio State runs a table and if Florida beats Alabama? Um, and that's a fair question. And Notre Dame well. loses. And Notre Dame loses, right. Um, that's a fair question, too. Um, and that, that's what puts you in a bit of a sticky spot if you're Notre Dame because like, you're, you're the number two team in the country right now. You're not going to – I guess you could get to number one if you win and Alabama loses to Florida. Yeah, you're probably the number one team in the country. Um, and There's something to be said for that. But, you know, one, two, three, four, what, what's the difference? Last year was the first time the number one team actually won it in the playoff. Um, mm-hmm. when LSU won last year. So, and that's been six years of the playoff. So, um, I, I hate to view it through the prism of there's very little to be gained here from Notre Dame because there always is. Um, and I come back to what Tony Dungy said on our show this week, which is they went into the Clemson game the first time believing they can win, and they're going to go into this one knowing they can win. Um, and I think that makes them more dangerous than they were uh, going into the November 7th game because Clemson's going to be healthier. Um, mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame's going to be better. They've played today notwithstanding um, their best ball of the season, I think, against Boston College for most of the game and for basically four quarters against North Carolina. I think that's a fair point. Um, I think that Notre Dame's confidence should be incredibly high, and I do think that sort of angsty everyone says, like, I don't know anyone who's going to pick Notre Dame to beat Clemson in Charlotte. Like, that's not going to be a popular pick. Um, the first time around, I feel like nationally, there were a lot of people who picked Notre Dame. There was there were there a was, lot who picked Notre Dame. There I was mean, Trevor was a, a big reason of that. Yeah, I mean, numbers. there was a lot of buzz about like Trevor's out. Notre Dame hasn't won this game in the past, but like, if not now, when and they're home? I, I mean, it was a good environment. Home. Yeah, I mean, everything. Yeah, everything. I'll go. I'll say everything was sort of in Notre Dame's favor in South Bend on November seventh. You know, now this is. You have, you have a lot of things going against you in, in Charlotte on December 19th. So it's, I know talking, I was talking to Ian Book's dad for the story I did on him during the week, and he was recounting sort of the conversations he was having with Ian the week of the Clemson game and really being struck by Ian's demeanor of like, essentially, yeah, we got this. You know, we got this. Don't worry about it. We got this. And it wasn't a boastful, we're mm-hmm. definitely going to beat Clemson. Um, but when Rick book hung up the phone, it was like, you know, other people might not think they're going to be Clemson, but this team definitely believes they're going to be Clemson. And to Dungy's point, now they know that they can. Um, so I, I think that is a huge, you've sort of punctured this air of invincibility of Clemson. Now, um, that, that is valuable even with Trevor Lawrence and James Skalski back in the lineup on December 19th. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I get what you're saying when you said everything was going for you and now everything's going against you. I can't go that deep yet. Um, I would say, I would say like every, everything was going for you on November 17th. I wouldn't say everything is going against you now, just like it's a sort of a split decision. Uh, yeah, I, I would say split decision is fair. I think they were playing against history that game too. I mean, Ian Book fumbles into the end zone and it's here yeah, we go again. And you've got every human being in America other than the people wearing the gold helmets that day convinced Clemson's going to win that game because that's what happens 
when Clemson's on the football field and when Notre Dame's mm-hmm. on the football field in big games. That's just what happens. And so to finally get over that hump, I don't know how – I mean, we're, we're talking about a group of 85, 18 to 22-year-olds. I don't know how you can quantify what that does for them mentally. And not just them, but for the brand of Notre Dame football, which had not had a moment like that in 27 years. Um, like, they're not playing against history anymore. And that's even subconsciously a huge burden that's lifted off their shoulders. There's not – Brian Kelly's not going to get up there that Tuesday – rattling off his record trying to defend why he hasn't won a big game. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I sort of forget the salty Brian Kelly yeah, on Monday of that week. That, that's all gone. Like Brian Kelly, I won't go so far as to say his legacy is secure, but you just beat the number one team. You're you just past Lou Holtz. You're going to tie or beat rock deep at some point in the next year. Um, like your, your legacy is pretty secure. I mean, you haven't won the big one yet. And obviously that's what gets you a statue at a place like Notre Dame, but like he's not coaching to prove anything anymore. I mean, we said the stat at the beginning. He's got his fourth perfect regular season in 12 years. I mean, don't think anyone outside Nick Saban um, during that stretch can can compete with that. So, um, you know, it's like the, the Tom Izzo Final Four thing. Every Correct. every fifth-year senior, other than the 2013 class, which was the only top five class he signed at Notre Dame, um, has played for a perfect season at Notre Dame. Um, and, look, I mean, they 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 – Earned it this year more than they have in other years by, by beating number one the first time and getting another shot at them again. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's no, no question about that. I, I guess I'm sort of interested about where this goes with, you know, the Ian Book, Trevor Lawrence dynamics because, you know, there are some people at Notre Dame that are, would argue that, you know, Ian Book should be a, a serious Heisman Trophy contender even though he's been kept a bit under the radar by the program itself this year. <laughs> Um, what I have no idea what you're referring to. But yeah, I mean, what what's on the line there for Ian Book as it relates to sort of stacking up to Trevor Lawrence? Because that that is a lot different than what happened on November seventh. You would think a fifth year senior grad student would have the uh, sort of mental acuity to like outfox a, a true freshman, right? And I don't. I mean, look. It's a perfect game because you're going up against the guy who's going to be the number one pick, who the Jets and everyone else are tanking for, yep. and who has already has a national championship under his belt and who has never lost a regular season football game at the college level. So, I mean, I get that dynamic of it. But, I, look, I mean, Ian Book, he's said it, and we've seen it. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, for all the we don't believe in Ian Book stuff, guess what? Notre Dame's coaches believe in him. He would have been starting a hell of a lot sooner than the middle of the third year in South Bend, okay? Like, he was a last resort when they couldn't get Brandon Wimbush to complete downfield passes. So, um, Ian Book has made a career out of proving everyone wrong, and good for him. He's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in Notre Dame history, already the winningest. Um, But I don't think he – like, I think he's really good at compartmentalizing what matters and what – doesn't he's not trying to win this or prove this to people in his locker room because their faith in him is unwavering and we saw that on November 7th when he rebounded from what a a turnover in a crucial point of the game that would have undid 90 percent 99 percent I think Mm -hmm. at that level and he marched right down got them to tie the game then won the game in overtime and again in double overtime so um, as much as we want to talk about the quarterback matchup in this game like I don't I think Ian Book is smart and mature enough to not let that affect him. And look, you beat Trevor Lawrence and you beat two different five-star quarterbacks at Clemson in one season and you beat that program twice in one season, which hasn't lost 
a game outside the national championship in or outside the playoff in five years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, no, the, the Syracuse game, whatever, three years. Um, like you're going to New York, you're virtually going to New York. Like I, I think with that statement, um, if you outduel Trevor Lawrence and beat him, I, I, I think the argument is written for you. Like people don't. Can you tell me Baker Mayfield or Johnny Manziel stats? Like football is not baseball, where like there are these big round numbers that you know are, are right. commemorated and we always remember. Um, like we just don't think of it. We think of the moments. We think of the Heisman moments, and there wouldn't be a bigger one in the pre-playoff stage than beating Trevor Lawrence and Clemson for a second time. Yeah. So what do I remember about Johnny Manziel? The Alabama game. I couldn't right. tell you a single statistic that he had. I just know that he beat Alabama, and that was freaking amazing to watch. Uh, I mean, with with Ian Book, like you mentioned, the chip on the shoulder stuff. Like that's I, to me, that's like kind of a superpower for him. Uh, I think he would prefer to not be promoted as a Heisman Trophy candidate. I think he would prefer to sort of like not that he gives a crap about it, but like have some angst about it. I mean, this is a guy that. He went to a passing camp or a, a team camp. I believe, it was a, I believe it was at Oregon State or it was one of Oregon State's satellite camps. And Mike Riley was there and he watched Book throw. And he came up to him afterwards and said, Hey, you know, man, you're really spinning it today. Have you thought about the Ivy Leagues? This was going into his senior year when he already had an offer from Washington State. How did Mike like, Riley's career work out the last few yeah, years? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this was a power five head coach who couldn't be bothered to know who Ian book was. Um, and I think that is really a, a powerful thing for Ian book um, that he would prefer to have moving forward. Um, and I, so it's like the, the Heisman stuff. Well, I think if, if Notre Dame is serious about it, get serious about it. But if you're Ian book, I think you would prefer that it was just sort of left alone. Um, but if he beats Trevor Lawrence in Charlotte, then he's going to have to, or going to have to, or going to get to answer those kind of questions for real, uh, because that would that would just be a super super significant situation for him. Mike Riley, who in a do, do or die year hired Bob Diaco as a defense coordinator, and um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I don't see. I would have agreed with you if if him and Brian Kelly weren't talking after the North Carolina game about that USA Today story, which I mean. I know it's kind of cheap bulletin board material and, and right. you know low hanging fruit, but um, he sounded real pretty chippy when he got asked about it. He wouldn't volunteer that, but if you ask him about it, be like, "Well, did this mm-hmm. guy play the game? Does he know what he's talking about?" I don't know. So, I mean, I think I don't think he's a self promoter. I don't think he's going to go out there no. and create a hashtag and say, you know, that would be cool. Blah blah blah. Like twelve de- twelve delivery service. You hashtag, can thank me later. Hashtag bucket. <laughs> really original. Um, I just. I, I think everyone's human. Like, yeah, that'd be cool for him. And he'd be, he'd find it cool to be on that stage and mm-hmm. talked about in those um, conversations, but like, that's not his job. There are, there's an entire PR arm at that school who is responsible for this. And if they're serious about it, they can start promoting him and start putting him in front of cameras more and um, make him speak more. I mean, like you don't have nothing to worry about. The guy's the most well-spoken guy in the roster. He's the only captain quarterback Brian Fantastic. Kelly's ever had, and he's a two-time captain. I don't know what you're so afraid of, but um, you got to put him out there and 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 sell him a little bit because the reason he's not on top ten lists by people who aren't in South Bend is because they don't see enough of him because Notre Dame's not promoting him enough. And yeah, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's reality. Unless Johnny Manziel is the only one I know because he was a freshman and Kevin Sumlin wouldn't let freshmen talk. He's the only one I know who won the Heisman. 
that no one had spoken to until that point. And he was so overwhelmingly convincing. It didn't matter because he yep. was awesome. Yeah. I'm with you there. It's um, I don't know with, with Notre Dame moving forward. It's it, the, the Heisman stuff is sort of a, a, a somewhat interesting sidebar. I'm, I'm much more interested in what Clark Lee does with the defense moving forward to tighten up. I'm much more interested right. in like where Notre Dame's offensive line goes from here. Cause like, that's stuff that actually matters. Um, so, like, that – I, in some ways, if I was Notre Dame, I would spend more time promoting uh, the Joe Moore Award than I would the Heisman Trophy because um, that, that's or, where your or, team hey, actually Royals Award is next week, the finalist list. Um, <laughs> there's a certain defense coordinator who you may have just mentioned who was somehow not on it last year uh, despite doing a great job and yeah. could be on it this year. Um, but we will see. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, some interesting dynamics there. I, yeah, it's, um, well, I, for the hell of it, I looked up Johnny Mandel's stats in his Heisman trophy. Tell me what his touchdown to interception ratio was when he won the Heisman trophy. I don't think it was overwhelming unless you're including rushing touchdowns. I mean, I would no. say 30 to 10, 26 to nine. Okay. Yeah. Not uh, yeah, and not not overwhelming at all. But uh, again, it's it's the moments. I mean, and it, well, not Ian only Luke the moments. Chance to have moments. Texas A and M. That was our first year in the SEC. Kevin Sumlin, who hasn't exactly covered himself in glory as a coach in any year since then, um, is still a Power Five head coach, probably because of Johnny Manziel. And they renovated Kyle Field for I'm not even going to try to guess how much money without looking it up because of what Johnny Manziel did in his first year in the SEC. Like it's the house that Johnny yep. built. Um, program changing, game changing talent. Um, who, I mean, Johnny football, every kid growing up at that year wanted to play and be like him. Like it was, it was a phenomenon. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, there's it was I mean it was an incredible season. Um you know, books books numbers clearly are not at that level, but look, is the all-time winningest quarterback in a place where doing anything all-time is really hard to do because there's been a lot of really good quarterbacks who have played here. So he's he's got that going for him. Um our friend longest. Tony Dungy volunteered. Mm. I, I played with Joe Montana and I think yeah. when all is said and done, Ian Buck Tony Jundy, future Notre Dame defensive coordinator. Yeah, you, you heard Way it. We get him on the hook for that. <laughs> Home games only, but you know yeah. what? There, there are some coordinators out there who I think have similar arrangements. Right Home now. games only, no recruiting. Okay. Sounds like a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit tricky for him. But um, I don't know. I guess before we wrap up, 
don't know. Was there anything else you took away from Saturday for Notre Dame that is applicable moving forward? Um, I, I do think it is – I don't know. It, we spend a lot of time talking about individual games that are never spoken of or thought of again. I mean, you think about when we, we – as I stuck to my guns in our post-Duke podcast that Notre Dame would be Clemson when you, when you were a doubter, Matt Fortuna, um, I just – other than the, like the offensive line is interesting to me moving forward. I'm not sure what else happened today that is applicable to anything that happens next. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting in the way, um, the way you describe Notre Dame kind of like, um, knocking some of the armor off Clemson and making them no longer invis- invisible or invincible. I should say. Um, I think, um, I could like definitely see them. Yeah. I could, I could see them as well. Um, I think there's some of that with Notre Dame's offensive line. I think mm. when they were at full strength, it was like, holy crap, we don't know one. Yeah, no. Clemson, whoever, Good point. doesn't have a chance against these guys. And now it's, well, maybe there's something there. Maybe this guy can't snap well. Maybe this guy, you know, isn't full health because he just had his appendix removed two weeks ago or what have you. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're not great still, but I, I, I think there's the air of invincibility, at least this week, um, uh, died down a little bit. Yeah, I think that that might be the most significant thing that happened today for all, you know, the records and the feel-good moments. And there were a lot of them. You had Dalen Hayes interception, uh, Kyron Williams 1,000 yards, Ian Book 30th win. Um, Cameron, Ak- I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Ekanyake. Good for I mean, Road Scholar, you get in, senior day. That's awesome. Road Scholar finalist. Oh, if, he finalist wins, I'm sorry. if he wins it, I don't know if he's excommunicated from the WAPU nation or not, but uh, it's okay. Maybe he'll, it, he'll, start his own, he'll start his own nation um, yeah. if he's a Road Scholar. Uh, Mike Collins last game. 500 country. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that was part of it too. Said he wasn't going to cry, but he was. Um, I mean, again, it's just it, everything about this season is weird, and I'm incredibly grateful that it actually happened. Um, so are you going to thank me and our producer, John Hayes and our editors, Daniel Luthman and Stuart Mandel at the athletic for um, allowing us to work this year? Mm, mostly um, remotely. Yeah. Mostly remotely. I don't know about that, but it's like, I get it. I get, I get that everything is weird. I get that why Brian Kelly spent the first two minutes of his postgame press conference on senior day talking about 50 year old VPs at Notre Dame and his head trainer. Like I get, I get all of it because nothing is normal. I appreciated my game day parking and spots that usually I reserve for Tom Mendoza or Jimmy Dunn. Uh, you know, maybe less. Hey, I, we, we know less so I appreciated the pregame food of we, we've been to Mendoza's tailgate. He parks <laughs> yeah. the same way me and you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but when the bar tab comes, he's the one that picks it up. So, <laughs> It uh, it was a weird year, but Notre Dame is undefeated. They're sitting there at ten and zero. You know, at the fourth undefeated season in twelve years. It um, like Notre Dame is they are serial winners now. Um, you feel like you know what you're going to get from Notre Dame every Saturday, and it's been like that for a while. And to me, that is a huge development as somebody who's covered this team for a long time. Because I would say for the first. 17 years on this beat you were like well might lose today i don't know um and now you know that like they're gonna go out and figure out a way to to gut it out not that they had to gut it out against syracuse but they're gonna beat everybody that they should and now after the clemson game on november 7th you feel like they've got a chance to to punch above their weight and beat maybe some people that they shouldn't uh it's funny you bring that up i, I don't know if you'll remember this or not but 
shortly after you're hired at the Athletic, which would have been before the 2018 season. But and, maybe I'm the maybe I'm the reason that Notre exa- Dame is exactly. After the 2017 season, which looked so promising, and then just kind of the air went out of the balloon at the end, and you know you lose McGlinchey and Nelson, and you don't know what's going to happen with Glenn Bush, and there's all these—I mean, there's all these questions. I mean, again, yeah. if Notre Dame knew they would be that good, if Ian Book would be that good in 2018, they would have started him from week one, Correct. and they didn't. Um, I remember I was—we were talking about—I think it was at maybe the the Big Ten meetings or something. We were all in Chicago that summer, and we were talking about the uh the schedule and which at the time again looked a lot harder than it ended up being but i remember bringing up that virginia tech date um mm-hmm. which was after the first two justin fuente years which had gone remarkably well in blacksburg and i don't remember if you said it or i said it but we said we had a line that was along the lines of like when's the last time Notre Dame didn't walk into an opportunity that they could screw something up that they screwed it up on that kind of stage because that was who they were like they right they just lost every big game or almost won games they shouldn't have, but still ended up losing it, like Florida State. Um, and to your point, that's gone. Like, there's none of yeah. that. Um, you don't think that about them anymore. Jack Kaiser had a great line when he got asked post-game today about the senior class. said so they created a new era of Notre Dame football. They set the bar. Um, they are, you know, they're ball players. They're the program. Um, they are the bar, I think is what he said. Yeah. Which I thought I mean, was an awesome line. Which is... Should bring an underclassman more often on senior day. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I mean, I made that line about the 2013 recruiting class and talent for talent. I don't know if this team's better than like the 2016 team that went four mm-hmm. and eight. You know what I mean? From one through 85. Like, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, it's one of the reasons when the season started or not when the season started, but in the summer or the spring when we were doing podcasts. And, and I think I want to say Eric Hansen at the South Bend Tribune wrote something where the subhead was like, is this Brian Kelly's best team? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what about this team would lead you to believe that this is better than 2015 or better than 2012 or better than 2018 or even appreciably better than just last year? And, you know, sitting here, lo and behold, they have the win over Clemson, 10-0, and undefeated regular season. I mean, you got to give it to them because yeah. I, I have not covered a Notre Dame team that, that is – that is more than the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. more than this one. Um, that, to me, is the best way to describe this team. We've all covered teams at Notre Dame. You know, you were on this beat for a while here locally, and, like, we've seen teams that felt like, you know, they maybe were a win better than what they should be um, or two wins better. I don't know how many wins this team would have in normal circumstances, but, I, but it's not 10. And I think that they just – they figured out a formula to really maximize what they had. And ultimately, that's why they're going to be, you know, so well-remembered as, as, a, as a great Notre Dame team because they have really Notre Dame's first epic win in high definition. Um, and it's, it was – I think the pandemic and everything that went on around Notre Dame probably feeds into that where you're just, like, really grasping for something positive, something to hold on to if you're – like in South Bend or working at Notre Dame and this, this team gave it to you. So it's, um, I think that that sort of adds to, adds to what this team was about. Yeah. I mean, we no idea where the run game would come from. I mean, I didn't know. Um, first couple games had no idea where the catches would come from. And to your point about them being greater than the sum of their parts, I, I say this respectfully, 
there are only two guys on that defense who you, who you look at who you're like, holy crap, like that guy's going to be yeah. making unbelievable plays on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Like they have a ton of really good players who have done their jobs incredibly well and they've become deeper and deeper as the season goes on. But you don't look at that roster and say anyone other than Kyle Hamilton or Jeremiah Uso-Karamoa would be starting at Clemson or Alabama tomorrow. Their, their best offensive draft prospect is a freshman tight end. Yep. That's, that's a weird place to be for a team that's undefeated and has a real shot to knock off Clemson for a second time. But that's where they are. And I give, I give Brian Kelly a ton of credit um, for that because, you know, Clark Lee a ton of credit and Tommy Reese a ton of credit. You know, Jeff Quinn. I mean, think about the, the questions we had about this team. It's yeah. not just the roster. It's the offense coordinator. It's the offensive line coach. Um, you know, are they going to be able to get everything out of what they have? The, the corners, the corners back coach, like a true freshman corner led them in tackles today. Like right. that is insane to me. Like that. Uh, and it's not even, we're not talking about Patrick Sertain Jr. here. You know, Clarence Lewis was a three-star prospect out of New Jersey. who has really come on and has been very well developed by Mike Mickens. Like, I think it just it just really feeds into Notre Dame is like I'm hesitant to say that they're getting everything out of what they have. I think they're getting more than everything out of what they have, I, uh, and I that's can't a, argue. Man, that. I mean, yeah. Brian, Brian Kelly, you know, take a bow. It's I understand that he may not win National Coach of the Year with Tom Allen and the job Indiana is doing. Maybe but ACC. <laughs> yeah, he should he should certainly be ACC Coach of the Year. Um, We'll see. How Those will be fun votes. Out. Like, yeah, very fun. Like, I could already picture certain um, outlets like tracking down the writers who <laughs> voted for Jeff Hathley or whomever, because um, those will be fun votes. But yeah, I mean, he's he said all the right buttons. I mean, I the, the I want to say it was the week one or, or training camp we did a Zoom with him, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I don't have any questions about my team," and he was so kind of casual and with the way he mm-hmm. said it. And we're like, "Yeah, you know," I mean, like speaking for us here, like. Yeah, they're old. We know who most of them are, but like we haven't seen a freaking practice. Like he could just be BSing us right now, you know? Yep. Like, everything was shrouded in, in well, and like un- what Dungey said on our podcast this week. You know, he watched the first practices, and the defense was way ahead of the offense. That's not where you would probably want to be if you had a, a graduate student quarterback and five returning starters on the mm-hmm. offensive line. You would like that to be a little bit more even, but it wasn't. But lo and behold, we're sitting here on December 5th recording this podcast. Their name's 10-0. Their offense looks great. Um, you know, 280 yards rushing and 280 yards passing. Even against a pretty garbage Syracuse team is really impressive. It's it's hard to have that kind of balance in your offense. And Jeff Quinn, you know, Tommy Reese in particular, just great, great work. I, you know, and I ultimately the, the most credit goes to Brian Kelly, a head coach, because it's um, it's been a hell of a four year run that he's put together here. It is, and it came out of the worst season imaginable, where a lot of people want him gone, and I, I didn't think he should have been fired, but I wouldn't have had a sound argument against it if that did happen because it was not good that year. Um, Sugar Bowl, Tulane, new offensive coordinator Chip Long. Are we doing a live show with him when Notre Dame's there? If Notre Dame is in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, he will absolutely be a live guest on this podcast. It'll probably be at a bar somewhere, uh, opposed to my hotel room. There are no Maybe rules a, in New Orleans, uh, right? It'll be a hotel bar. Um, there you go. That would be the the classic, the quintessential Chip Long uh, podcast guest. Since, I mean, since we've had Clark Lee on here, we should have Chip Long as well. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. Don't know if we've addressed this on the podcast yet. I do want to make sure we get the name Zach Plants in here. Um, Tyler Plants. Yes. 
Um, has been around Notre Dame football in some capacity or another pretty much his whole life. If you're a fan or if you've been there, you know him. He's awesome. The family's awesome. His brother, Zach, was buried today. Um, we saw the social media pictures going around last week of 14 personnel that time he called at the goal line. Um, the plants are uh, – Zach was a rugby player at Notre Dame. Tyler Logan were walk-on football players at Notre Dame. Their father played at Notre Dame in the 80s. Uh, just awesome people and just a, such a tragedy. Uh, but it's been nice to see the Notre Dame community rally around him, both with the grotto being lit up in the word Zach uh, with candles. And he had a November page that is now – raised over a hundred thousand dollars uh for men's mental health which is amazing um just an awesome family and uh thinking of that thinking of all of them right now yeah I re- that's been uh that's a way weighed on me quite a bit this week you know it's like i don't know tyler or logan other than a media member and a football player or a football ops guy but um you talk to anybody around notre dame they're very highly regarded and you know zach uh, I've had some interactions with people who played rugby with him or went to school with him, thought the world of him. And I don't know if you saw the photo that uh, Logan Plants put out uh, on social media um, with the casket and the white rose on top of a Notre Dame sort of Rudy jacket uh, was was pretty cool. Um, so thinking of them at uh, what a tragedy, uh, thinking of them, thinking of their, their parents, it's um, – yeah, that's been a, a tough coda to the season, and I, I hope that um, I hope that the season gives that family something to smile about, something to rally behind uh, in a very difficult time. The uh, they're accepting donations to the Zach Plants Foundation, which will support students at Providence Catholic High, where he went, and I believe Miles Boykin went as well. Correct, um, and the University of Notre Dame to help with the construction of a rugby stadium. Um, so, those people uh, they truly bleed blue and gold. Um, they're uh, nerding through and through. And, and I, I only really know Tyler. Zach actually was a campaign manager for Jerry Joyce, who ran for mayor in Chicago, who was a cousin of a cousin, as most things work in Chicago in politics. <laughs> uh, so I only knew him tangentially, but I, I knew great things about him. And, and Tyler's just the man. You can't not like him uh, the first time you meet him. Even though he calls himself the Big Tuna. I may have to wrestle him over that nickname one day and probably <laughs> kick my ass. But still got Good luck to you. That, would be, that yeah. would be our first Shamrock live stream. <laughs> That and, um, yeah, all the uh, offensive linemen and um, Mick Asaph going up against each other, um, as we proposed earlier this year. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you bringing it up for a podcast. It's a good way good way to close out the season um, and look ahead to December 19th, Notre Dame Clemson Part 2, we hope. Road but, trip. Uh, but look, by the, time you listen, <laughs> yeah, by the time you listen to this, that game will have, have come and gone, and hopefully Clemson will have uh, won so we can see what we all want to see on December 19th. So until um, – We'll be back next week. I think we'll have a, a few more guests lined up. And um, there's like the first go around there. You can talk about Notre Dame Clemson for infinite minutes, um, both in podcasts the, the, the and the first, infinite word count. The first time the ACC's game's not in prime time in however many years, and you've got a playoff playing game and maybe a it's, semifinal it's, preview. It's, it's probably the first time people want to watch the ACC yeah, championship yeah, game in a decade. So. I'm fortunate enough I will be there for it, um, but for the next two weeks, we're all Notre Dame Clemson Part 2 all the time on the Shamrock and everywhere else on the Athletics. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about that. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Shamrock. Mm-hmm.